The other week, I went to a family party, and it was a great family party. It was a surprise party, and the sort of surprise party that you just know is going to be a success. Now, my parents had invited the whole extended family down for a picnic, and uh, we were the decoy. Everyone thought they were coming to see me and Peter and the children and get together at the start of the holidays and catch up. I was really touched by how many people came. My grandmother, my great-aunt, my uncle and aunt, some cousins, and most of my siblings. Now, there are five of us, so that makes for quite a party. But one sister, well, she had a really good excuse for not being there. You see, Emily spent the last 12 months working out in New Zealand. We didn't think she was going to be back until the following week. Now, I just wish I'd been there on the station platform when my younger sister, Hannah, got off the train. She got off the train and looked, and there was Emily. What a wonderful surprise. And as more and more people turned up at this party, we were just so thrilled to have Emily there with us, and it was great. Now, being part of a large family is slightly less common these days than it used to be. In fact, most people, when they hear that I'm one of five, they say, how did your parents survive? Mm -hmm. I think prayer is probably the answer. But it was great, actually, being one of five. And yes, we fell out, but usually if we fell out, there was someone else there to take our side if the others were ganging up on us. But we never fell out like the people in the story today. You see, this morning, we're thinking about a much larger family. Twelve sons and a family with some major problems. We only had the very beginning of the story read to us today. Genesis has 14 chapters on this story. It's a great story. And what a tantalizing start. This is the account of the story of Jacob's family line. Now, of course, we know this, don't we? This is Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Andrew Lloyd Webber's smash musical, prize of uh, Any Dream Will Do. Now, I saw this in the 90s at the West End, and I loved it. Catchy tunes, happy ever after ending. And do you remember this song? of the story of Jacob. But let's get some facts out here before we get carried away in the theatre. So what have we got? We've got Jacob living in the land of Canaan about 4,000 years ago. So in Genesis so far, we've had creation, we've had the fall, we've had the flood, we've had the Tower of Babel, and then the writer of Genesis focuses down on one family, the family of Abraham. Now, uh, we heard a bit about him last week, didn't we? We heard about the promises that God made to Abraham. He promised him blessings in terms of land, descendants, a special covenant relationship with God, and to be a blessing to all nations. Now, Abraham was the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob, who's also known as Israel. And he, in turn, passed on these blessings as an inheritance to his sons. We know that Jacob lived in the land of Canaan, That's uh, modern-day Israel, Jordan, Lebanon, that part of the world. We know that he had 12 sons and one daughter by four wives. And his favourite wife, his true love, was Rachel. And there we can see Joseph, the firstborn son of Rachel. But he had one terrible flaw. You see, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And you can imagine how that made the other 11 feel, can't you? When Joseph gave Jacob that special coat, 
when he singled him out and gave him so much more love and attention. And then the dreams started. When Joseph dreamed that the other 11 would be bowing down to him, that's what the symbolism of those dreams meant, it's no wonder they were feeling a little angry. But maybe they didn't take the best course of action. Because what happened? Let's take a roller coaster ride through the story. It's an exciting story. We start there. Joseph, he's his father's favourite. He's got that special coat. Life is brilliant. And then his brothers sell him as a slave, aged just 17, to work in Egypt, in a faraway land. Life couldn't get much worse, you just thought. But it's okay, because he went into a nice household. Potiphar, his master, he liked him. He worked his way up. He gained respect. Life was looking up. Maybe, maybe this is going to be all right, but no. Rape charges, false rape charges, and Joseph is back in prison. But then again, he's a nice guy. He works hard. He gains respect. And even people come and ask him about interpretation of dreams. He thinks he's going to get out there. The cupbearer says he's going to tell everyone what happened. But no, two more years in prison until finally the cupbearer remembers what happened in prison and he comes out. God brings Joseph to the right place. God provides him with the interpretations for Pharaoh's dreams and God uses him to save a whole nation from starvation during the, fa- during the famine. But more than that, you see, this is the story of Jacob's family line. So we get the brothers back in. If you read it in Genesis chapters 42, 43, 44, it's about the brothers. And they are now changed men, remorseful. Reuben even offers his life uh, to guarantee the safety of Benjamin when Benjamin travels to Egypt. And finally, in Genesis 45, the whole family are reunited. And how does Joseph respond? With bitterness? With anger? No. He says, and now... Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And later on in Genesis 50, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Wow, a great story. You can see why Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice put it to music, can't you? The highs, the lows, the dramatic tension. But what about us today? When you look at the lives of others, sometimes you think you can see that too. You can see the story through their lives of the roller coaster, maybe. But when it's actually you, and when you look at the people you know really well, it's a bit more complicated than that. You see, even when you're feeling really blessed and life's going really well, there are often things which aren't quite right. There are nagging da- doubts and there are problems. And then the depths. Well, at least when you look back on them, sometimes those depths seem to have their purposes too. And actually, I think that's what comes out in the story of Joseph. But, you know, we can be honest when we're down in those depths. We read Psalm 130 earlier. And we really can express just how we're feeling. Remember how it started? Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Now that's one of the reasons that I love the Psalms. We can really express what we're feeling to God. And Psalm 130, well, that also shows us a way through those depths, a way to acknowledge them and move towards hope. And the psalmist starts by saying, yes, do, cry out to God. Face up to your problems and tell him exactly how much it's hurting and how it feels. And then surrender those problems to God. When we've sinned, we can seek his forgiveness. 
And then the really hard part is we've just got to wait on the Lord. But we can find hope in his word and we know we've got the promise that we will receive these gifts of unfailing love and full redemption. I don't know where Joseph found his hope in those dark times. Perhaps it was the promises that we heard about last week that God made to Abraham. Perhaps it was knowing the story of God's involvement with his family, with Isaac, with Jacob. Perhaps he took comfort from his dreams, from his personal prayer life. What is clear is that he held on to God and waited. You see, we left Joseph in Genesis 37 at the end of the reading when he was just 17, and a good 10 years passed before the story picks up again. But do you know what happens? In uh, Genesis 39, verse 3, we read, His master saw that the Lord was with him. It was because of Joseph's faith and obvious trust in God that he started to gain that respect in Potiphar's household. Somehow he'd held on to God. Again, when he was in prison, when they came to him and wanted him to interpret their dreams, what he said was, in Genesis 40, verse 8, he says, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And it was God revealing the interpretation to Joseph that gave the interpretation there. So Joseph had held on to God in the bad times. God was with him, changing him, preparing him, and giving him hope. I don't know where you are today. You might feel like Joseph at the end of our reading when he'd been sold into slavery. The future might be looking really bleak. Almost certainly, if you're not there now, you'll know somebody who is. And the Bible tells us again and again stories of people in that situation for whom even hope seems impossible. But it also tells us that whether we feel it or not, God is there with us. And as we read his word, we can rediscover the hope that we need. And I firmly believe that that's where our hope lies, even today, that we should trust in God's purposes. I was struck by this message of hope, even in the darkest of times, when I read an interview with Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in California. You may know him as the author of the bestseller, The Purpose Driven Life. And the interview was from not long after his book had hit the bestseller list, so life was going really well in one respect. But also his wife Kay had just been diagnosed with cancer. And uh, she wasn't being miraculously healed. Thousands of people were praying for her, and she was really sick. Now, anyone would have expected them to be in the pits of of despair. But there was a glimmer of hope. They still felt that God was there, strengthening her character and drawing her closer to him and to other people. This is what Rick said. He said, I used to think that life was hills and valleys. You go through a dark time, then you go to the mountaintop, back and forth. I don't believe that anymore. Rather than life being hills and valleys, I believe that it's kind of like two rails on a railroad track. And at all times, you have something good and something bad in your life. No matter how good things are in your life, there's always something bad that needs to be worked on. And no matter how bad things are in your life, there is always something good you can thank God for. And as I read that, I was reminded again of what Paul wrote in Romans. In Romans 8.28, he said, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. 
Or I've also heard that translated as intermingle, that all things intermingle for good. It's not a promise of an easy life. It's an assurance that God has a plan for each one of us. For me and for you, here in Camborne today, we are being called according to his purpose. And when, and I'm afraid it probably is when, when things look bleak, this promise might just be the glimmer of hope that we need to help us remember that Christ is here with us, strengthening us in the tough times and interweaving them with the blessings. Our story won't be Joseph's story. It won't be Jacob's story. It won't even be Rick and Kay's story. But our story in Camborne will be a story where we walk down that railroad defined by good and bad. As Rick Warren commented, God is more interested in making your life holy than he is in making your life happy. The goal is to grow in character, in Christ-likeness. Joseph held on to God's promises. He grew in character, in godliness. Over those 20 years that then he was able to see God's promises and God's purposes unfolding. His brothers too were changed as part of the plan. We've been reflecting on the story of uh, Jacob's family line this morning. Read it again. It only takes half an hour and you'll see that at times it is a painfully honest account of the flawed human nature. But also it is a story of hope and God's purposes. Joseph, like the psalmist and many others after him, found hope in God's purposes. Will this hope in God's purposes be our story? here in Camborne.